again, I want to say good morning to you. My name is Dion. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online as well. Uh, I just want to tell you uh, right up front, this is going to be a different kind of message than, than maybe you're used to here. Um, even for starters, I often try to ease you in to the topic of the day. I try to start off with something lighthearted or funny or, or just uh, thoughtful to get us eased in. But today is going to be different. We're not going to ease into anything. We're just going to jump right in the deep end. So uh, I hope you will come along with me and go deep with me more quickly than normal. Because today I want to ask you, what is that thing in your life? That moment, that experience, or uh, maybe just that feeling? What is that thing in your life that has so much power over you that you can't even speak about it? What is that thing in your life that has so much power over you that you can't even bring yourself to open up your mouth and utter a word about it? For some of you, that may be something that happened to you at the hands of someone else. For some of you, it may be something that you've done to another person, some, some harm or injury you've perpetrated on another person. Or, or maybe for you, it's just a feeling It's a sense of inadequacy or a sense of uh, unworthiness that you've carried around with you and you don't even know where it came from. You can't even trace it back to an event. It's just something you've always wrestled with in uh, in your own mind, in your own heart. What is that thing for you that has so much power that you struggle to speak about it? The truth is that we all have those things. I've got several of them. Uh, just a few days ago, I was talking to a couple of really close friends of mine, and uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but somehow I found myself talking about something that I hardly ever talk about, something that I, I've been quiet about for a long time, about how back in high school, I got beat up twice. Um, once was actually before high school, I should say, it was in middle school, and, um, and this, this kid jumped me, and it was in front of all kinds of people at a basketball game, and um, I, man, I... He just kicked my butt. I mean, it was bad. I was out of school for, for a few days. I still have a scar next to my mouth from, from that fight. And uh, everyone saw it. And when I came back to school, not only was there no hiding it in my face, um, but everyone knew about it. And I was absolutely humiliated. But then there was another time. I was uh, a little older. I was in high school. And this time there weren't as many witnesses. Only a couple of friends saw it. And again, I just, I just got pulverized. And Um, This time, though, I swore them to secrecy, and I hid it from my parents, even though I was kind of hurt, and I hid it from all my friends, and I didn't talk about it. And so for whatever reason, a few days ago, I found myself talking about this, and it was still crazy to me, even though these were very trusted, close friends. uh, It was amazing to me how hard it was to speak about that. The words were just so heavy coming off my tongue, and my heart started beating in my ears because this is something that I, that I don't want to talk about. Now, some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's weird. You've been in fights. You've lost fights. Um, and this isn't a big deal for you. And, and that's okay. That may be true for you. But I think the reason this is such a big deal for me is that those, those two moments confirmed something, a belief that I've struggled against my whole life. And, and that's the belief that I'm weak. See, I grew up small for my age. I was always small for my class, one of the smallest. I was a late bloomer. Um, I wasn't the most athletic person growing up. I always felt scrawny and not very fit. Uh, I grew up in a house where I often felt overpowered. I was made to feel small. And so those two moments for me confirmed something that I've I've always believed about myself, that, that I'm weak. 
And so I didn't talk about them. I, I, I kept them quiet for a long time. I still don't like to talk about those things. See, uh, as a matter of fact, for most men in the room, chances are that what I just shared also might be something that you feel shame about. Uh, more than anything else, men feel shame about weakness. Whether it's physical weakness, not being strong enough, whether it's financial weakness, not, not being able to provide for yourself or your family well enough, or whether it's emotional weakness, that's the number one thing men feel shame over. Weakness. And by the way, uh, do you know what it is for women, the number one thing women feel shame over? Does anyone know? It's their appearance. I think I heard someone say it. Their appearance. That women feel the need to look perfect without any effort. You know, look beautiful, look perfect without even trying. And women feel incredible shame about, about how their appearance, how they look, their body image, all of that stuff. Now, maybe you're a man or a woman sitting in the room today and those things don't resonate with you. You don't feel any shame about those things. Well, good for you. Chances are there's something you feel ashamed about. You feel shame over something in your life. We all do. And, and shame is such a tricky thing like that. Sometimes it just takes a moment, an encounter, an experience, or a feeling. And, and shame works its way in and, and it grabs a hold of you. And today I want to talk a little bit more about shame. That's what this series is about. And I want to talk specifically about how silence, how silence is a partner with shame. But ultimately what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about how God wants to and can and is able to set us free from shame. And to do this, I'm going to share two stories, two stories um, about two women, um, and uh, I just want to say something here before I get into these stories. I'm not sharing these stories about women because women are the only ones who struggle with shame. I've already said that I struggle with shame. And I struggle with shame about a lot more things than what I just told you about. Except we aren't that close, so I'm not sharing that stuff with you. Um, but I do. There's, a, there's incredible shame in my life. And I've counseled with enough men to know that men carry shame too. It just so happens though today that the two stories I'll share are, are about women. And one of them is, is in the Bible, um, and one of them isn't, and I want to share the first one with you from the Bible. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at this story of shame and silence and ultimately freedom. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. So you can open up your Bible here if you're in the room, or you can uh, just look along here on the screen. It starts off this way. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake... A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So imagine this. Jesus is traveling around. He crosses a lake, and there are all of these crowds that he leaves behind. By the time he gets to the other side of the lake, there are crowds waiting for him. Jesus cannot escape people in need. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a guy in the crowd, a, a, a guy of, of dignity, of status, a religious leader, named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, this is all just context. We're not actually going to talk much more about this man or his daughter. This is just context because something is going to happen while Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house that, that we're actually going to spend some time looking at. But the reason I bring this up is not only for setting or for context. The reason I show you this is because I want you to understand something about Jesus' character. Now, in our culture today, we, we love and revere our kids. Uh, maybe to the point where we almost idolize our kids. Um, but in the ancient world, kids weren't seen with such great status. 
Kids were seen as pretty expendable. They didn't add much to their families. And this was especially true of girls, sadly. And so this idea that this father would come and be heartbroken about his daughter, that's exemplary. More exemplary is the, is the idea that this, this busy guy, this rabbi, who has thousands of people clamoring for his attention, that he would then set off to go to the house of a man to lay hands on his child, on his daughter, to heal her. See, I, I share this with you, even though it has nothing to do with our main teaching today, um, because I want you to understand Jesus' character that he's not like everyone else. He's a different kind of rabbi. He's a different kind of leader. But while he's on the way to the house to heal this girl, and there's this crowd of people pressing in all around him because he's, uh, people are just, you know, they want to know Jesus. They want to see him. They want to be seen by him. Here's what happens. It says, a woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, now just get this. This woman, who for 12 years was constantly menstruating. Can you imagine how embarrassing that must have been for her? How frustrating. Not only that, again, in the ancient world, when a woman was at that time in her cycle, she was considered unclean. And she would have to stay away from certain people and, and she could make people unclean and she would also have to stay away from the temple. She'd have to stay away from worship. And so here's this woman who for 12 years is dealing with a very embarrassing medical issue but she's also outcast. She's ostracized. She's kept even away from God. She believes that she's you know, untouchable to God himself. Uh, and it says here that this woman, in desperation to, to get well, that she went and she saw all kinds of doctors, everyone she could find who could promise a cure, and they gladly would take her money, but they could not give her healing. Instead, they took her money and she was left worse. But, but she decides that day because here's this rabbi who is going to the house uh, to heal a little girl. She decides that, that maybe he can help her. She, she launches a plan, and here's her plan. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman does something daring. She's unclean, and she says, you know what, maybe, maybe if I can just touch the outside of his garments, the outside of his cloak, maybe I won't make him unclean. I won't cause him any harm. I won't bother him, but maybe I can be made well. And so, so she tries it, and immediately she feels his power go into her body, and she knows, she knows, after suffering for 12 years, she knows that something's different, that she's been healed which should be the end of the story, right? The woman goes home, Jesus goes on to the little girl's house and, and they live happily ever after. But, but we're actually getting to the most important part of this story. It hasn't happened yet. Look what happens. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Cuckoo, right? Like... Jesus, get a grip. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So I just got to pause here because like, what's, what's Jesus doing? I mean, is he mad that someone 
stole some of his power without authorization, that this woman helped herself to an unauthorized healing? I mean, doesn't he know how long she suffered? For 12 years she's been suffering. Doesn't he understand that this is the last thing that she needs? She's been dealing with embarrassment and shame for 12 years. The last thing she needs is to be publicly called out and chastised, right? Doesn't Jesus get it? Let me just reassure you. Absolutely, he gets it. In fact, Jesus understands something about this woman that I think a lot of us don't. That her her greatest need was not just for a physical healing. See, if, uh, if shame is a prison, then silence is its warden. And Jesus understands that this woman, she can go home and just sneak off and, and her body can be made well and she can be freed from this issue. But without breaking the silence, she's still going to be in prison. She's still going to be held in that embarrassment and in that shame. And so what Jesus does, it it seems unloving, it seems harsh, but what Jesus is doing is he's calling to this woman, drawing her out of her silence, inviting her to break the silence. See, See, shame doesn't get better with age. It doesn't mellow over time. For, for as long as you stay quiet, it keeps its, its talons in you. I mean, how many, of us, how many of us can say to ourselves and do say to ourselves all the time, you know what, it's okay, I've, I've forgiven it, I've gotten over it, I've moved past it, I've forgiven myself, I've forgiven them, and yet we still can't talk about it. See, if, if you can't talk about it, if you're still trapped in silence, That means you're still living in shame. And so Jesus, he does something so important for this woman, this great healer, this great miracle worker, this great teacher, this great rabbi, he becomes a great listener. And he invites this woman to break her silence. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She's trembling at fear because, man, if you've ever done this, you know how scary it is. You know how hard it is to talk about those things that that do not want to come out of your mouth. Man, it's terrifying to talk about your shame, to talk about what's happened to you, to talk about what you've done, to talk about those, those insecurities, those feelings of unworthiness that we all hold inside of us. It is terrifying. And yet this woman comes, And she falls down and she tells Jesus the whole story. We don't have the whole story recorded for us here. But she lays it right out in front of Jesus, in front of everyone else. She speaks. And Jesus responds, I want you to see this in a way that is so important. Because someone has once said that that if, if you put shame in a Petri dish and you add empathy to it, then shame can't survive. And I want you to see then after Jesus calls this woman to break her silence and she bears her soul to him, I want you to see how he responds. He said to her, daughter. Now, if, if you're this woman and this whole thing has happened and, and you just technically have made this religious man unclean by touching his garments because you're unclean and, and you spill your guts before him, is this what you're expecting to hear? <laughs> I don't think so. In fact, I'm certain this woman wasn't expecting to hear this because this word daughter, Jesus only speaks it in this way over this woman. He doesn't call anyone else in the whole New Testament his daughter. But he says it to her. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed 
from your suffering. I mean, can you imagine what this response did for that woman's soul? She was expecting condemnation. She was expecting judgment. And instead, Jesus calls her daughter, calls her, this woman who's been an outcast, who's, who's, been, who's been embarrassed, who's been living in shame for 12 years. He calls her daughter. Can you imagine what those compassionate, empathetic, understanding words did for her spirit in that moment, the healing that they brought? Not only that, he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And this word peace is not just peace the way we talk about it. The Hebrew concept shalom, whenever you see the word peace in scripture, it's actually the word shalom. And shalom is so much more than peace. It's wholeness. It's it's fullness. It's being able to say, it is well with me. Everything is right now. I'm whole. I'm full. I have abundance. Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in shalom, go in wholeness and be freed from your suffering. So even though the woman had this plan to to get her physical ailment healed, I guarantee she had no idea she would walk away with such a healing. With not only being physically healed, but also being restored. Being set free from 12 years of shame. So that's the first story. Uh, I promised you a second story. The second story doesn't come out of scriptures. It actually comes out of the life of this church. Uh, In this church, there's a woman, Erin. And Erin's married to a a man named Tom. Uh, They've been married for a long time. They've got a beautiful family, beautiful kids, uh, you know, gifted, smart kids. If you knew Erin from the outside appearances, and those of you who do know her, um, if you knew her, you you would think that she is living the good life, just the the West County good life. But the truth is that for 32 years, Aaron has been living in shame and in silence over something that's not even her fault. Uh, But recently, in the last year and a half, God has begun to call her out of her shame by inviting her to break the silence. And it's been a really scary journey for her. Um, But through breaking her silence, she too is finding healing. And so today, I want to share with you Aaron's story. Go ahead and take a look. So Aaron, um, your story for us begins probably back when you were about six years old, when um, your life took a, took a pretty significant turn. Um, can, can you share with us a little bit about that? I was raised in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and it happened to be, um, it's a seminary town. And my dad um, had recently graduated from the seminary and was the youth pastor at our church. And my mom um, was the breadwinner and um, worked one, sometimes two jobs. And um, sometimes her job would require her to um, work on Saturdays. So one Saturday, um, there was a carnival that I really wanted to go to. And my mom and dad both had to work. And so my mom just asked um, her best friend if she would be willing to babysit me and take me to the carnival. My mom took me and dropped me off that day. That was the day that my life pretty much changed forever. My mom's best friend was um, making breakfast and um, her husband had come into another room that I was in and it was uh, the first time of many where I was abused by him. I was told never to say anything. Um, I was very ashamed and humiliated, um, hurt, and uh, really confused. And at this point, still no one, no one knew anything. Nothing. 
So not only was the perpetrator a man who was in your church, um, he even served as like a, a deacon. But more personally between you and God, there was, there, were, there was a story there too. The abuse started when I was six and the following spring, um, Pastor Razor said, if you want, if you want God to save you, to please come forward. And he was setting a couple of rows behind me and I was scared to death. The perpetrator. Yes. But I ran up to Pastor Razor and I told him that I wanted to be saved. And in your young mind, being saved means get me out of this. That it would all stop. Several weeks later, um, he assaulted me. The perpetrator assaulted you again after your baptism, this thing that's supposed to have saved you. Yeah. It didn't stop it. And I just remember feeling like, well, maybe it was my fault. You lived in the silence for years. Right. And the weight of that silence uh, must have been so heavy. When, when did that finally change? When I was 14, my dad was now the pastor of the church. Me and my mom were in the car during his message, and my mom was trying to figure out, like, she didn't understand why I didn't want to go to school, and she felt like I was rebelling, and I, I wasn't. I just, I didn't, I was scared. We were in the car, and my mom asked me the question um, that I'd always waited for her to ask me, and she said, has somebody hurt you? And I said, yes. And she said, who? And I said his name. And then it all made sense to my mom. So even after you, you had this moment with your mom, this moment that you had been waiting for, you'd been waiting for someone to ask you and to break the silence, that doesn't mean that everything got easy. Then the, then the police were called and um, this this, uh, there became this whole legal side of this. But you were pretty pivotal. I mean, you were, the, you were the first voice that came forward that then brought forward all these other, uh, brought all of these other girls in their, in their silence they had been living in. You helped break the silence in all of those cases too. When I had come in and I provided them with what I did, um, they knew at that point that they had them. The perpetrators put in jail um, you've, the silence has been broken. It almost would feel like at that point that, okay, now, now this is justice has been served. You can move on with your life. So, you, you know, you're saying you have a, you have a family and part of your life is really good. Um, but, but you're, you're still struggling at this point in your life. Um, you know, after you moved here to St. Louis and you have your family and they bring you so much joy, but there's, as you described it, there's still this, this deep, dark hole. What, what did it actually look like? I remember you describing that you, you know, you would put all of your energy into your kids and your husband, and then when they were away at work and school, it was, it was like I just crawl back into bed. It was just kind of a safe place for me to feel numb, to not have to think about it, to not have to deal with it, to not have to be out and be triggered by it. You know, I've realized over all these years, no matter how much counseling I did or what doctor I went to or what medicine I tried, there 
has never been like a quick fix or a fix period for me. What did you think of God? Because surely after all of this stuff happening so close to the church, that has to have an effect. I felt like he had given up on me, that I just, I wasn't enough, but I still didn't feel worthy. Last fall, when um, you really started incorporating in your messages about that God loves you, and if, so to speak, if you take the leap and you make yourself vulnerable, that he'll help you, he'll come into your life. You just have to lean in. I knew something was changing when the thought crossed my mind that maybe one day I could forgive him even if he's not sorry. I think it was after the inspired weekend service where people were sharing stories of life change. We had that moment where people were doing that baptismal reaffirmation and um, and I, I think it was that day that you called our house and asked if you could drop something by. And you dropped by a bunt cake. Right. Which was really delicious and uh, thoughtful. <laughs> and I thought that was just a really nice gesture. And you said, man, that service is really great. It was, it was really powerful. Um, but I, you told me later that on that day, you thought that might, that might be your entree to, to, uh, to not only talking about what had happened but also asking a pretty important question. So my way of trying to reach out was the bunt cake, because <laughs> I'm from the South and that's what we do, we feed people. But I just, I couldn't, I wasn't ready. Finally, I, I, I got an email from you out of the blue. Very long email. And I remember you saying, this might be the longest email you've ever gotten, um, but I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna tell it all to you. I was embarrassed too, not only because of what I was sharing with you, but I needed to know that God hadn't given up on me because I realized that I had given up on Him. Do you remember what I said? That He hadn't. You gave me encouragement. You didn't judge me. You gave me scripture. You gave me songs. You gave me a lot of advisement on things that you thought would help me heal. So I, I told you, I responded to you saying, surely God has not given up on you. In fact, believing that God had plans for you and not only plans for you in spite of this, that God had plans to use all of this pain for good. And, and I talked about that. Well, your email was so encouraging and it was a game changer. It was a turning point for me. And so over these last couple of months, um, I just dove in, I dove in more into studying my Bible, um, to finding a Bible study, to making a playlist, and I didn't even know what a playlist was. My kids had to make the playlist. And then you really encouraged me um, to find somebody else that had been through what I had been through. And so I reached out to um, Aaron Murren, who's behind Aaron's Law. That was just a life-changing moment for me. I met someone who was like me, like it was the first time I'd ever felt normal before. And maybe this is overstating it, I don't know that it is, but in a matter of months, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you went from being this, this, uh, this, this mom, this wife, who was totally you know, in love with your family, but felt like you were, as you said, out of breath, running, hiding, Going to going back to bed when the family was gone and 
then trying to pull yourself together before they got home to be on for them, to being what now? I've experienced so much joy or I've never felt before. This black hole that I've never been able to fill is like finally filling up. I don't have to put a, on a happy face facade for people when I feel genuinely happy. Let me ask you the big question in all of this. Why, why do this? Why share your story? It's definitely because for 32 years, I really felt like God had given up on me and that I had given up on Him. And after this transformation that's been going on in the last year, I've realized and you've cemented that God hasn't given up on me and that He loves me. I just want people to know that if that can happen for me, there's no situation too small or too big to think or feel that God has given up on you because He hasn't. And I will say that every day to anyone who asks me. I love, I love that story for so many reasons. I love it first just because it's brave. And uh, I hope and I believe that more and more God is making this church a church of people who are brave. They're brave enough to speak about their pain. They're brave enough to uh, just be authentic and to let God do his work. I love that story because I know that statistically um, about uh, one in four, one in five women will experience something similar over the course of their lifetime. So in this room, if, if this was a room full of women, a hundred of you uh, would, would experience this. I know it's, it's so pre- prevalent and I know there's so much shame uh, around this whole issue. I love this story because I love that a woman who struggled with shame and silence for 32 years, about a year and a half ago, in this very sanctuary, began to hear the healing voice of God calling to her, calling her out of her silence, calling her into something new and better, calling her into joy and healing and freedom. And I love this story. I love this story because it just reminds me that what happened in Mark 5, 2,000 years ago, that God is still doing the same thing. Do you see the parallels between these two women's stories? And do you see that this isn't stuff that Jesus just did when he walked the earth? He's still doing it. I love that, that Jesus has been calling to Aaron, calling her his daughter, and inviting her into something fuller. See, as Aaron said in the video, the reason she wanted to share her story with all of you was because she wants you to know that no matter what you have done, and you may be on the other side of a story like this, or no matter what has happened to you, or no matter what has, has, has filled your mind or the sense that has overwhelmed you your whole life, she wants you to know that God hasn't given up on you. Even if you've given up on him, even if you've thrown up your hands, he's not given up on you. And I just want you to know that's true. In fact, today I'm, I'm calling you a step further. I'm, I'm calling you to break the silence in your own life about whatever it is that keeps you in the prison of shame. And it may be something significant like this. It may be something that seems so small, like I shared with you at the beginning. But no matter what it is, I'm going to challenge you to break the silence, to not live in shame anymore. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of the most Christ-like person that you know. 
The, the person who is not perfect, of course, you can't find Jesus on this earth, but someone who is compassionate and gracious and empathetic and loving and not judgmental. I want you to think about that person. Who is it? Is it a friend? Is it a staff member here at St. John? Is it a counselor? Who is that person? I want you to picture their face. I want you to write their name in your mind right now. Be really clear on who this person is. And then I want to challenge you to go to them sometime in this next week to set up an appointment, to ask for some time and to break the silence about whatever it is that holds you in shame. Those things that you're afraid to speak about that seem so heavy. Because here's what I'll tell you. That just like in Mark 5, just like in Aaron's story, as you begin to break the silence, Jesus is there in that person, through that person, but he's there apart from that person and he is waiting for you. He's waiting to restore you and to heal you and to help you become truly free. And so here's how I want to close this today. I want to invite our musicians out and um, I, I just want to, I want, to, I want to talk to anyone who's sitting in this room today who thinks that because of something that you've done or something that's happened to you, or maybe just some belief you have about yourself, to anyone who believes that, that maybe God has just given up on you or that he's not there for you or he stopped taking care of you, that he's not present for you, I want to give you this song to challenge that thinking and to penetrate those lies that deceit with some important truth. Here it is.